0: Last Battle by C.S. Lewis Chapter 5 How Help Came to the King But his misery did not last long. Almost at once there came a bump, and then a second bump, and two children were standing before him. The wood in front of him had been quite empty a second before, and he knew they had not come from behind his tree, for he would have heard them. They had in fact simply appeared from nowhere. He saw at a glance that they were wearing the same queer, dingy sort of clothes as the people in his dream, and he saw at a second glance that they were the youngest boy and girl out of that party of seven. Gosh, said the boy, that took one's breath away. I thought, hurry up and get him untied, said the girl, we can talk afterward. Then she added, turning to Tyrion, I'm sorry we've been so long. "'We came the moment we could.' "'While she was speaking, the boy produced a knife from his pocket "'and was quickly cutting the king's bonds. "'Too quickly, in fact, for the king was so stiff and numb "'that when the last cord was cut, he fell forward on his hands and knees. "'He couldn't get up again until he had brought some life back into his legs by a good rubbing. "'I say,' said the girl, "'it was you, wasn't it, who appeared to us that night when we were all at supper?' "'Nearly a week ago.' "'A week, fair maiden,' said Tyrion. "'My dream led me into your world scarce ten minutes since.' "'It's the usual muddle about times, Pole,' said the boy. "'I remember now,' said Tyrion. "'That, too, comes in all the old tales. "'The time of your strange land is different from ours. "'But if we speak of time, "'tis time to be gone from here, "'for my enemies are close at hand.' "'Will you come with me?' "'Oh, of course,' said the girl. "'It's you we've come to help.' "'Tyrion got to his feet and led them rapidly downhill, "'southward and away from the stable. "'He knew where he meant to go, "'but his first aim was to get to rocky places "'where they would leave no trail, "'and his second to cross some water "'so that they would leave no scent. "'This took them about an hour scrambling and wading, "'and while that was going on, Nobody had any breath to talk, but even so, Tyrion kept on stealing glances at his companions. The wonder of walking beside the creatures from another world made him feel a little dizzy, but it also made all the old stories seem far more real than they had ever seemed before. Anything might happen now." "'Now,' said Tyrion, as they came to the head of a little valley which ran down before them among young birch trees. "'we are out of danger of those villains for a space "'and may walk more easily.' "'The sun had risen, dew drops were twinkling on every branch, "'and birds were singing. "'What about some grub? "'I mean, for you, sir. "'We two had our breakfast,' said the boy. "'Tyrion wondered very much what he meant by grub, "'but when the boy opened a bulgy satchel, "'which he was carrying, "'and pulled out a rather greasy and squashy package,' he understood. He was ravenous enough, though he hadn't thought about it till that moment. There were two hard-boiled egg sandwiches, and two cheese sandwiches, and two with some kind of paste in them. If he hadn't been so hungry, he wouldn't have thought much of the paste, for that is a sort of food nobody eats in Narnia. By the time he had eaten all six sandwiches, they had come to the bottom of the valley, and there they found a mossy cliff. "'with a little fountain bubbling out of it. "'All three stopped and drank and splashed their hot faces. "'And now,' said the girl, "'as she tossed her wet hair back from her forehead, "'aren't you going to tell us who you are "'and why you were tied up, and what's it all about?' "'With a good will, damsel,' said Tyrion, "'but we must keep on the march.' "'So while they went on walking, he told them who he was.' "'and all the things that had happened to him. "'And now,' he said at the end, "'I am going to my certain tower, "'one of three that were built in my grandsire's time, "'to guard Lantern Waste against certain perilous outlaws "'who dwelled there in his day. "'By Aslan's goodwill, I was not robbed of my keys. "'In that tower we shall find stores of weapons and mail, "'and some victuals also, though no better than dry biscuit.' That also we can lie safe while we make our plans. And now, Prithy, tell me who you two are and all your story. I'm Eustace Scrub, and this is Jill Pole, said the boy, and we were here once before, ages and ages ago, more than a year ago by our time, and there was a chap called Prince Rillian, and they were keeping this chap underground, and Puddleglum put his foot in Ah. Huh cried Tyrion. Are you then that Eustace and that Jill who rescued King Rillian from his long enchantment? Yes, that's us, said Jill. So he's King Rillian now, is he? Oh, of course he would be. I forgot. Nay, said Tyrion. I am the seventh in descent from him. He has been dead over two hundred years. Jill made a face. Ugh, she said. "'That's the horrid part about coming back to Narnia.' "'But Eustace went on. "'Well, now you know who we are, sire,' he said, "'and it was like this. "'The Professor and Aunt Polly "'had got all us friends of Narnia together.' "'I know not these names, Eustace,' said Tyrion. "'They're the two who came into Narnia at the very beginning, "'the day all the animals learned to talk.' "'By the lion's mane,' cried Tyrion. "'Those two. The Lord Diggory and the Lady Polly, from the dawn of the world, and still alive in your place. The wonder and the glory of it. But tell me, tell me. She isn't really our aunt, you know, said Eustace. She's Miss Plummer, but we call her Aunt Polly. Well, those two got us all together partly just for fun, so that we could all have a good jaw about Narnia. For, of course, there's no one else we can ever talk to about things like that but partly because the professor had a feeling that we were somehow wanted over here. Well, then you came in like a ghost or goodness knows what, and nearly frightened the living daylights out of us, and vanished without saying a word. After that, we knew for certain there was something up. The next question was how to get here. You can't go just by wanting to. So we talked and talked, and at last the professor said the only way would be by the magic rings was by those rings that he and Aunt Polly got here long, long ago, when they were only kids, years before we younger ones were born. But the rings had all been buried in the garden of a house in London, that's our big town, sire, and the house had been sold. So then the problem was how to get at them. You'll never guess what we did in the end. Peter and Edmund, that's the High King Peter, the one who spoke to you, went up to London to get into the garden from the back early in the morning before people were up. They were dressed like workmen so that if anyone did see them, it would look as if they'd come to do something about the drains. I wish I'd been with them. It must have been glorious fun. And they must have succeeded for next day Peter sent us a wire. That's a sort of message, sire, i will explain about it some other time. To say he'd got the rings, and the day after that was the day Paul and I had to go back to school. We're the only two who are still in school and were at the same one. So Peter and Edmund were to meet us at a place on the way down to school and hand over the rings. It had to be us two who were to go to Narnia, you see, because the older ones couldn't come again. So we got into the train, that's the sort of thing people travel in in our world. A lot of wagons chained together, and the professor and Aunt Polly and Lucy came with us. We wanted to keep together as long as we could. Well, there we were in the train, "'We were just getting to the station where the others were to meet us, "'and I was looking out the window to see if I could see them, "'when suddenly there came a most frightful jerk and a noise. "'And there we were, in Narnia, "'and there was your majesty tied up to the tree.' "'So you never used the rings?' said Tyrion. "'No,' said Eustace. "'Never even saw them. "'Aslan did it all for us on his own way without any rings.' "'But the High King Peter has them,' said Tyrion. Yes, said Jill, but we don't think he can use them. When the two other Pevensies, King Edmund and Queen Lucy, were last here, Aslan said they would never come to Narnia again, and he said something of the same sort to the High King, only longer ago. You may be sure he'll come like a shot if he's allowed. Gosh, said Eustace, it's getting hot in this sun. Are we nearly Mm. there, sire? Look, said Tyrion, And pointed. Not many yards away gray battlements rose above the treetops, and after a minute's more walking, they came out in an open grassy space. A stream ran across it, and on the far side of the stream stood a squat, square tower with very few and narrow windows, and one heavy-looking door in the wall that faced them. Tyrion looked sharply this way and that to make sure that no enemies were in sight. Then he walked up to the tower and stood still for a moment, fishing up his bunch of keys which he wore inside his hunting dress on a narrow silver chain that went around his neck. It was a nice bunch of keys that he brought out, for two were golden, and many were richly ornated. You could see at once that they were keys made for opening solemn and secret rooms and palaces, or chests and caskets of sweet-smelling wood that contained royal treasures. But the key which he now put into the lock of the door was big and plain, and more rudely made. The lock was stiff, and for a moment Tyrion began to be afraid that he would not be able to turn it. But at last he did, and the door swung open with a sullen creak. Welcome, friends, said Tyrion. I fear this is the best palace that the King of Narnia can now offer to his guests. Tyrion was pleased to see that the two strangers had been well brought up. They both said not to mention it, and that they were sure it would be very nice. As a matter of fact, it was not particularly nice. It was rather dark and smelled very damp. There was only one room in it, and this room went right up to the stone roof. A wooden staircase in one corner led up to a trap door by which you could get out on the battlements. There were a few rude bunks to sleep in and a great many lockers and bundles. There was also a hearth, which looked as if nobody had lit a fire in it for a great many years. "'We'd better go out and gather some firewood first thing, hadn't we?' said Jill. "'Not yet, comrade,' said Tyrion. He was determined that they should not be caught unarmed, and began searching the lockers, thankfully remembering that he had always been careful to have these garrison towers inspected once a year to make sure that they were stocked with all things needful.' The bowstrings were there in their coverings of oiled silk. The swords and spears were greased against rust, and the armor was kept bright in its wrappings. But there was something even better. Look, said Tyrion, as he drew out a long male shirt of a curious pattern and flashed it before the children's eyes. That's funny-looking, male sire, said Eustace. Aye, lad, said Tyrion. No Narnian dwarf smithied that. This is mail of calamine, outlandish gear. I have ever kept a few suits of it in readiness, for I never knew when I or my friends might have reason to walk unseen in the Tisrox land and look on this stone bottle. In this is a juice which, when we have rubbed it on our hands and faces, will make us brown as calamines." "'Oh, hurrah!' said Jill. "'Disguise! I love disguises!' Tyrion showed them how to pour out a little of the juice into the palm of their hands and then rub it well over their faces and necks, right down to the shoulders, and then on their hands, right up to the elbows. He did the same himself. After this has hardened on us, he said, we may wash in water and it will not change. Nothing but oil and ashes will make us white Narnians again. And now, sweet Jill, let us see how this male shirt becomes you. To something too long, yet not so much as I feared. Doubtless, it belonged to a page in the train of one of the Tarkanes. After the male shirts, they put on calamine helmets, which were little round ones fitted tight to the head and having a spike on top. Then Tyrion took long rolls of some white stuff out of the locker and wound them over the helmets till they became turbans. "'but the little steel spikes still stuck up in the middle. "'He and Eustace took curved calarmine swords "'and little round shields. "'There was no sword light enough for Jill, "'but he gave her a long, straight hunting knife, "'which might do for a sword at a pinch. "'Hast any skill with the bow, maiden?' said Tyrion. "'Nothing worth talking of,' said Jill, blushing. "'Scrap's not bad.' "'Don't you believe her, sire?' said Eustace. "'We've both been practicing archery ever since we got back from Narnia last time, "'and she's about as good as me now. "'Not that either of us is much.' "'Then Tyrion gave Jill a bow and a quiver full of arrows. "'The next business was to light a fire, "'for inside that tower it still felt more like a cave than anything indoors, "'and set one shivering. "'But they got warm gathering the wood. "'The sun was now at its highest. "'And when once the blaze was roaring up the chimney place began to look cheerful dinner was however a dull meal for the best they could do was to pound up some of the hard biscuit which they found in a locker and pour it into boiling water with salt so as to make a kind of porridge and of course there was nothing to drink but water i wish you'd brought a packet of tea said jill or a tin of cocoa said eustace A firkin or so of good wine in each of these towers would not have been amiss, said Tyrion.